The recordings you are about to hear have been declassified and released by the British Ministry of Defence. These files cover the period from 1950 to the present day and provide the first indications that we are not alone. Southampton and scientists working on a particle accelerator unintentionally ripped through the space-time continuum into a parallel universe. Before they could announce their amazing discovery, the university authorities annexed the space as an overflow car park. Amesbury, Wiltshire, and Nivit Ascombe claims to have discovered the world's oldest chocolate bar in his cellar. However, detractors claim the chocolate bar may be a flake. Newacon Trent and Mrs. Kenneth Bolover, a sensitive, claims she was recently mugged by a gang of spheres of light which were only visible on photographs, and stole her bingo money. Fortunately, the spheres were captured on camera, and later identified by police as a load of balls. London, 1950. Lenore! Lenore! The Martians are coming! What? It's the Martians! The Martians? Well, isn't that bloody typical? What with me only decent dress in the wash and me hair in curlers? Tell them to wait, I'm not decent! They're invading! Oh, not again! Not again? Weren't they invading last week? No, that were the Russians! The Red Planet! Not the Reds! I don't care what football team they support, they're all communists, Perry! But Lenore, we should pack our few stereotypical belongings back in our cardboard boxes and head right back to Manchester! What? And leave this damp-ridden two-room bed it with peeling wallpaper and a sexually overconfident landlord with a vitamin D deficiency behind. The flying saucer is at the end of the street. Look! There, between the gasworks and the slaughterhouse. We must run away at once. What? Leave the smog and the dirt, the rust-coloured tap water and matching stair carpet, the shared bathroom and headache from that man perpetually having sex in that room above. I wish I had his stamina. He's an epileptic, Lenore. And look, they've got an heat ray, Lenore. They've got a heat ray. An epileptic with a heat ray? Well, turn it on me, I say. It's flipping freezing in here. We've got a crack window and a one-bar electric heater. And that's got one bar broken. Plus the electrics down the toilet, which would be fine if the toilet weren't blocked. <gasps> we'll be burnt to a cinder. Well, at least the rest of me would match the nicotine stains on my fingers. I'll take consumption by an exothermic incendiary laser with being a single mother to my bastard daughter who has run off with a black sailor, which you have to remember is shocking in its historical context. Because, Perry, despite my apparently plucky northern working-class exterior, I have a dark thought, and I'm liable to run off with the first man with ten quid in his wallet, no matter what planet he hails from. Plus... I have a sneaking suspicion, Perry, that you're actually a homosexual. <gasps> no! And to cap it off, you seem to be named after an overpriced pear cider and me after a brand of fabric softener. Jenkins! Jenkins! I want you to take the men round to the south where the machine gun post is situated, the other side of the barbed wire. I see it, sir. But, sir... Look, Jenkins, I know it's dangerous territory out there, but damn it, we've got a war to win. We're going to make Jerry sorry he ever started it. It's not that, sir. I think it's the Braithwaite, sir. The what? It's the Braithwaite's garden, sir. What, Marion and Keith? Behind the rhododendrons? Do we there in the allotments? I mean, it's not Jerry. Jerry Stewart. If I'm not mistaken, that's the back of their shed behind the Smith's artillery placement. And they're still neutral, sir. Lost a football over there once as a child. That was enough to know we'd be foolish to mount a military campaign, sir. We need to find another way. There must be a footpath or bridleway there somewhere. You there. Fetch me Corporal Sanders. Come on. What's that? Gas! Gas! Quick, men! It's the Richardsons having a bonfire, sir. Trying to smoke it out, are they? Well, I expect it's retaliation for getting the council in over his Leilande. 
Oh, it's all just so futile, isn't it, Jenkins? Look at this barren wasteland. You mustn't let it get you, sir. I struggle to grow vegetables to begin with. Not that. The war, Jenkins. The war. I mean, what's it all about? Well, didn't Jerry's builders dig up your roses, sir? Yes, we forget. I can't imagine there were many wars fought over roses, sir. Look out! Rocket! It's all right, Jenkins. It's just ordinary lettuce. You sent for me, sir. Ah, Sanders. Get onto the land registry. I want to know where everyone's house boundaries are and who's responsible for maintaining them. Yes, sir. Did you want to hear the report from Aerial Reconnaissance? We have a man from Neighbourhood Watch on your TV aerial. He spotted a platoon hiding in your rhubarb, sir. And Oldwich is thought to be constructing a new trench system behind his onions, sir. It's either that or a water feature. Have we tried shelling his onions? No, sir, but we shelled his peas. We'll be lovely for dinner, sir. Jenkins, fetch the mortar. Are you going to attack? Well, I thought I'd just repair the patio quickly. A group of us are going over the top, sir. That's if the trellis will hold us. Don't be foolish, Jenkins. He's got 30 feet of pristine lawn to get across. We mown down in seconds. Worse than that, it's covered in sprinklers and he's got a clear line of sight from the potting shed. And when I checked earlier, there was a shrub I didn't recognise. Could it be an ambush, sir? Hang on, sir. Why don't we move the men in down Roman Lane? Roman Lane? Isn't that a minefield? A minefield, sir? I don't think so. A legal minefield? Isn't that a made lane? We don't have right of access down there. A private lane? Damn it. If you've been using it for more than 12 years, you can get statutory declarations signed. Ah! I'm hit! I'm hit! Right in the begonias! Everyone down! We've got a sniper. Look! Curtain twitching in upstairs bedroom in number 36. Three o'clock. Uh, no, sir. It's four o'clock, sir. Good grief! Four o'clock already? Ceasefire? Ceasefire? Shh! Quietly! What happens at four o'clock, sir? It's when my wife gets back from work. There'll be hell to pay if she finds out I've been fighting with the neighbours again. Blyton, 2002. Hello. I've come for my manual handling training course for Mr Jenkins. I'm afraid Mr Jenkins is off sick. Sick? Yes. I'm afraid yesterday Mr Jenkins went on the rampage, smashing windows, breaking furniture and doing untold damage to Maureen from accounts' Ford Mondeo. So we had to have him sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Oh, what a shame. Yes, it's health and safety gone mad. Edgware, 1955. Morning, Mr Linklater. So sorry I'm late. Come in, don't worry, sit down. Embarrassing to be late for my first board meeting. Not there! How about that one? That chair there? Is it just us today, then? What do you mean? Is anyone else coming? No, the whole board is here. But the room is empty. This is a family firm, Sparks. As I have no brothers or sisters surviving, the board is made up entirely of my childhood imaginary friends. And now you. Imaginary? Yes. I've known them all my life, since I was small. I can't be expected to part with them now when they've given me so much wisdom. But they're not real. They're real to me. As real as you are. Which should raise some interesting philosophical questions. Shall I introduce them? This is Mr. Wizard, Director of Finance. Mr. Wizard can multiply any two numbers together in his head. Give him two numbers. Uh, really? Come on! Uh, eight and forty. Mr. Wizard? Nine thousand and twenty-seven. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that's completely wrong. What? It's three hundred and twenty. Are you saying Mr. Wizard made a mistake? Mr. Wizard doesn't make mistakes. He's done the books every year without a single mistake. Except for that fraud business. He always makes me take the rap when he breaks something. In that case, it was the economy. But that's all behind us now. What's that, Mr. Wizard? <laughs> that's an evil suggestion. I like it. Moving on. This is Captain Galactic. Don't worry about his glowing red eyes. He's a sweetie, really. And they come in very handy in a power cut. And this is Mawari Spoon Fidget Germ Bonus. No, Mawari Spoon. Put the knife away, Mawari Spoon. You can't kill Mr. Sparks. It's his first day. No, Mawari Spoon. Ah! Ah! 
Mawari Spoon is dead now. I will bury him in a shoebox in the garden. I don't suppose you know a good HR director? Well, there's my auntie Mabel. What are her qualifications? Uh, she died in 1942, but we still keep in touch, don't we, auntie Mabel? And how did your husband propose to you? Well, he was away, and being a romantic he is, he sent me a text. I keep it on my phone. Here. Oh, I must have deleted it. He was away? Yes, he was away with work. Where was he? Oh, he was in the office down the corridor for the afternoon. But we had this thing, you know, a uh, connection. I think it was Bluetooth. I have a collection of my boyfriend's love emails that I keep on a silver USB stick around my neck. I couldn't live without them. If anyone stole them, it would choke me to death. You must really love him. I knew he was the right one for me, because I looked through so many profiles before I got to his. But his new iPhone was the apple of my eye. He could always find my hot spot. And then, when we managed to get his firework into my Xbox... And how did you meet your current fiancé? Oh, uh, we were speed dating, had a collision, but we already knew we were compatible. We needed to charge our phones, and he had a cable and I had a charger. They just clicked. Within a week, we'd moved his profile onto my games console. Was it love at first sight? No, I'd read his Facebook profile. After five minutes looking at that and Twitter, we just felt like we'd known each other all our lives. But it was only when I saw him for real, you know, actually through the camera on my phone, that I knew that he was the one for me. That and the wedding photo that said we'd been married four years before. Though I'm pretty sure that that was photoshopped. Bedford, 1999. Well, thank you for coming in, Mr Gibbs. As you know, we're interviewing for the role of Chief Scientist for the Mars Spacecraft Programme. So what made you apply for the role of Chief Scientist? Well, it seemed like a natural progression for me. My previous role was as an Assistant Chief Scientist on the Moon Programme, and that was something I very much enjoyed. But I've always thought I could give it more. So I wanted to get my teeth into the full role. I see. And prior to that? Well, I've had a number of roles as scientists, engineers, and you name it, I've played it. You say played it? Yes. I've had the role, so to speak. I see. Yes, I'm a little curious about this one. You say you were scientist number three. Yes, didn't have a name. You didn't have a name? No, no, not in that role, no. Oh, I see, your role didn't have a name. Yes, I mean, obviously I had a name. Richard Gibbs. <laughs> no, but my role didn't have a name. Isn't that a little unusual? No, you get that all the time when you start out. Really? You know, non-speaking roles. Non-speaking? Yes, I mean, roles where you don't say anything. Spent years doing that. But that's terrible. Like, perfectly normal, really. But that's outrageous. You weren't able to offer an opinion or anything. Well, I doubt they'd have taken me seriously. I tell you, it's no wonder it's so difficult for people to get into science these days. I'm going to do something about this. What was the name of your organisation? Oh, I, I don't remember. You don't remember? Well, oh, you know, it's a, a Smirsh or something. Smirsh? Uh, by the way, I, I was thinking of playing him as a villain. You know, a little bit Richard III. Is, is that what you had in mind? Playing him? The chief scientist. I thought he could be a hunchback. Fetch me the brains, Eagle. <laughs> Which uh, channel does your space programme get transmitted on, by the way? Get out! Hello, how can I help you? Is this the science shop? It is, madam. Hello, I'd like to buy a universe, please. A universe? Right. What sort would you like? Well, this one's nice. I'd like one just like this one. I see. Exactly like this one. Yes, please. Right. Well, it will take quite a bit of work. How long exactly? Well, I'd need to work out an exact quote. I see. But I reckon between 10 and 20 billion years. 20 billion years? Between 10 and 20 billion years, yes. Is that between 10 years and 20 billion years? No, that's between 10 billion and 20 billion years. Only the guy next door... Oh, yes. He thought he could have it done in 6,000 years. Yes. And he said he'd have the bulk of the work done by Friday. Next door? Yes. In the religion shop? Yes. 
Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? I mean, I thought what with this being the science shop, you'd be able to offer me something better than the religion shop. Something improved. Well, I'm not sure he's ever actually delivered a universe himself. No, he said he was going to contract it out. I see. Some mysterious third party. I see. We do ours on the site here. In here? No, there isn't nearly enough room in here. We've got a workshop out the back. Also, his fossils and historical record are all fake. Fake? Whereas ours are actually genuine and put down by real animals. Hmm. Although, next door they said something about a flood. Oh, yes. That was a worry. I don't want a leaky universe. Ours comes with a guarantee for three months. Does that include parts? Everything is included in our universe. Is it CE Mark? Somewhere, yes. I see. But they did say theirs had an intelligent design. I think that's just a trademark. Ours pretty much just happens randomly. Right. Does it come with a manual? In the religion shop, they said it came with a manual that is literally true. We prefer our owners to find things out through experimentation. Right. Well, I was hoping to take something home with me today. I'd hired a van and everything. That's not going to be possible, I'm afraid. Do you deliver? Yes. So that's April between 10 billion and 20 billion years from now. Can you narrow down the delivery window? I'm afraid not. Will you be in? I can't stay in for 10 billion years. What if I have to nip out for a few minutes? They'll leave a delivery card. You can pick it up from the depot. Can't you give me a call when it's ready? Let me check my calendar. 10 and 20 billion years. And no, I'm on holiday. And how much will it be? Well, we normally work on £30 an hour. So let me see. Uh, 37-hour week, 10 billion years. I make it about 5.7 times 10 to the power of 14 pounds. But we do have a sale on universes this week. So I can knock off 5.7 times 10 to the power of 13 pounds, which is 5.13 times 10 to the power of 14 pounds. That's before VAT and postage, of course. Do you take cards? Not for small amounts, no. Well, maybe I'll just think about it. Thanks for your help. No problem. Typical. I bet she goes and gets one off Amazon. Rice Slip, 1983. Good morning, Major. Are you ready for the meeting? Morning, Mr Riggs. I am. Good. Uh, Although I have to say I'm quite surprised by some of your proposals. I can't say I agree they're a good use of taxpayers' money. I see. Well, before we go in, shall we synchronise acronyms? Synchronise acronyms? Yes. We wouldn't want to have any misunderstandings in front of the committee. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Well, otherwise, if you have an ONS with EA, it's not clear whether it's an overnight shuttle with Eastern Airlines or a one-night stand with Ethel from Accounts. Well, if we must, where shall we start? Well, let's start with the easy ones, shall we? HSL is obviously... Hall, stairs and landing. High-speed link. But that would only make sense if IDP is... International Development Programme. Ah, and not Interior Decorating Plan. Right. Uh, So the plan to build an HSL between the South Coast and Birmingham... Oh, I see. But if we're not building a massive pedestrian walkway between the two, then why are we rolling out RAEs? RAEs? Rug alignment engineers. Railway area electrification. (laughs) And I was horrified at the cost of paint choosing group. Parent company guarantee. And concerned about the escalating cost of the carpet colour chart. Current construction costs. And the DCU? The extravagance of this apparently essential dual carpet underlay. Dual carriageway underpass. So then VPC is... Vice President of Construction. And not Velvet Plush Carpet. I see. Well, this is starting to sound a lot more reasonable. I'm still worried about the quick and anal session in front of the joint shop stewards. And that's a question and answer. And it says the chairman wants an OTW and SCP. He wants overtime working addressed in the shared contract proposal. 
not one off the wrist in Sainsbury's car park. Ah, Riggs, Major. On your way to the meeting, I see. Can I introduce you to Tristram Marmalade? He's head of the paint choosing group, who'll be leading the velvet plush carpet selection. Hello. Uh, can I give you both a lift? We're parked just down here by the supermarket. Uh, it's, it's all right, thanks. We'll walk. Gerard Potiphar from Birmingham is a chartered architect and writes to us for help. He's trying to build a new homeopathic hospital and wants to know how to stop it draining away. Michael Average centres in pictures to show that he found a cliff face that looks remarkably similar to his maiden aunt. However, having seen both, we can confirm that the resemblance is actually the other way around. Bridget Mortimer writes to warn us of a new scam where someone calls to the house and glues you to an enormous piece of paper. She says she thinks she was ripped off. This week's talk was to be given by Roland Expressionism, an expert in neuro-linguistic programming, the technique of reprogramming the mind as if it were a computer. Unfortunately, he's had to cancel because he had a crash on the way over. Aries 4, this is Mission Control. Come in. Come in, Aries 4. Please reply if you can hear us. Can you hear us, Aries 4? What is it, Jones? Sir, it's, it's Aries 4. I think we've lost them. Lost them? No, Jones. No one loses anything on my watch. I lost my car keys once, sir. A- apart from the car keys. Let us never forget the car keys. And I lost my virginity on your watch once. Oh, yes. I won't forget that either. And I lost a bet one time. Remind me? I bet that we wouldn't lose a rocket. Ah, yes. But apart from Brian's virginity, Eric's car keys and Chris's bet, no one has ever lost anything on my watch. My watch? No, it's my watch. No, I mean I lost my watch once. You lost your watch on my watch? I'm pretty sure. You sure it wasn't someone else's watch? No, no, it's definitely my watch I lost. You didn't mention this before. I forgot is all. You lost your memory? You lost your memory on my watch? Well, there you have it. Apparently, we've lost lots of things on my watch. Lots of things. Far from being an isolated incident, this is in fact just the latest in a long catalogue of things that have gone missing on my watch. One might almost say that there is in fact a significant correlation between things going missing and me watching. To a degree that you might begin to question my competence at this whole watching business in the first place. Now, what's missing this time? It's the rocket, sir. The Ares 4. A rocket, eh? Well, let's think this through. Now, don't worry, Jones. It's important that you keep a cool head. Try not to think of the lives of the men in jeopardy here. The screaming children mourning the loss of their parents too young to die. The glare of the media. All those millions of people in their homes anxiously awaiting the news of their returning heroes. Don't think about them. Due to the huge number of things going missing on my watch, I'm probably one of the most skilled people at finding lost items. Although Brian's virginity is perhaps unrecoverable. Now, first things first, where do you usually keep it? In the hangar, sir. On its hangar? I see. Is it hanging there now? No, in the hangar, sir. Is it possible someone could have hung it up for you? I know my wife always hangs my jacket up when I leave it lying on the floor of the bedroom, when I come home after a long, hard day at work, vomiting and urinating all over the floor and myself, scarcely able to stand. No, sir. Okay. So, we move on to the second stage. Uh, Where did you last have it? Uh, The rocket? (laughs) I was here, sir, in the control room. Good, good. Now, have we looked in the control room? No, sir. Right, everyone pay attention. Jones here has lost a rocket, and I want you to look very carefully around your seats for it. Well, what did you say it was? It's the Ares 4? Yes, yes. Now, what does it look like? It's quite long and pointy at one end, and has a a red bund about a third of the way down. Long? How long? Come on, Jones, there are lives at stake. (laughs) About 30 metres. 
Okay, turn out your pockets, see if anyone's picked anything up by mistake. Chris, you've got glasses, get looking. I've got it, I've got it. Where? I've got radar contact. It's down the back of the sofa. I knew it! That's the same place I lost my virginity. If we can just move the cushion slightly. <laughs> there. I have a visual. Mission Control, this is Ares 4. Radio contact is restored. Mission Control, we appear to be in some kind of sofa. We have completed our mission, having located both the watch and the car keys lost on the previous mission. I knew you could do it. Cheltenham, 2004. I'd just like to say this movie is going to be the most exciting dinosaur film of the decade. Uh, before we go through the special effects scenes, I'd just like to welcome Jim from the University of Cambridge, who's been doing research into the sounds that real dinosaurs would have made. Hello. We're really keen that this movie should be not just entertaining, but also scientifically correct and educational. Right, so let's go straight in, Mike. The first scene then, fleeing from an unseen attacker, a herd of giant stegosauruses majestically thunder across the plains. Jim, what have you got for us? Stegosaurus, okay, here we go. <coughs> That's stegosaurus, is it? Yes. Because you know, it looks more like a kind of roaring animal to me. Well, we've looked at the size and shape of the throat and possible configuration of the vocal cords. No, no, that's, that's great, Jim. That, thanks for that. Let's move on, shall we? What, what's next? Scene seven. The velociraptor is watching our hero through the bushes. Suddenly, before it pounces, it lets out a terrible cry. What was that? That's the velociraptor. That's not quite what I had in mind. Well, the dinosaurs were distant relatives of the modern-day birds. Wasn't that a nightingale? That was a nightingale. What is this? Am I going to find a velociraptor pecking away at my bird table, hanging upside down from the little string bag eating peanuts? Do they spread their little arms and fly up and perch on the roof of my house and coo gently? I don't think so. They are not birds. I mean, it's not like dinosaurs lay eggs. Dinosaurs did lay eggs. They don't. Do they? Did they? Right. Right, uh, scene 27. Scene 27. This is the big climactic scene where two Tyrannosaurus face off against one another. Just before they lunge in a final climactic fight, each raises their heads to the sky, opens their jaws and... York, 1986. Ah, Mr Bentley. Yes, Mr Scarborough. I need to have a talk to you about packing and stacking. Packing and stacking? Only I've received two complaints. And here at Bunting's Bunting, we don't usually get complaints. Well, what could they be? Well, the first is from a customer who had bought some of our bunting for use at a Cambridge boat festival. And when they received it, the bunting in question had pictures of men shooting. Oh, no. It sounds like they've ordered Bunting's Punting Bunting and instead got Bunting's Hunting Bunting. Exactly. And, and there's more. More? A lady complained that she ordered a set of bunting with pictures of specific small birds. And when she received it, it had pictures of trains on it. Oh, there's been a mix-up between bunting's bunting bunting and bunting's shunting bunting. How do you explain that? Oh, Mr Scarborough, it's that new trainee we've taken on in packing and stacking. He's from Chile, and he packs willy-nilly. Oh, silly Billy. But if there's been something lacking in packing and stacking... Oh, there'll be no slacking in packing and stacking. If he doesn't get packing, then he can get packing. Scarborough. Oh, Mr Gordon, what is it? We've been bought out. Who by? It's the Faggot family from America and their chain of fishing supply stores. Faggots, maggots? That's right. And worse, 
They want us to rebrand. Rebrand? We can't rebrand Bunting's Bunting. It's up front of the building. It will all have to go. Bunting's Bunting fronting? Oh, no. I'll be fighting this rising tide of globalisation. Soon there will be no small-scale over-specific British manufacturers with rhyming names left. Last year alone we lost Tring Springs, Paget's Widgets and all our Candelabra. It's nothing sacred. I'll get on to our lawyer. Sawyer and Sawyer? I don't think they're up to the job. Get me Gaston and Duckham. Right away. Longburton, 1991. Hello. Is this the Department of Weights and Measures? It is. Ah, good. I've come to read the meter. Uh, no problem. Here it is. Let me see. 100 centimetres. That's great. Bye. Bye. St Mary Bourne, 2009. Anthea, thanks so much for coming to our little village fete. Hi, Mike. Sorry I missed the start. No problem. Come on in. Remind me what you're raising money for again? Oh, it's the middle classes for the violent overthrow of the fascist government. It's a terrorist organisation. A terrorist? Don't worry about that. Today's all about the families. Should we just have a good time? But are you saying you're a member? Oh, yes, yes, we're all members. But look at the stalls we've got. We've got Guess the Yield of the Explosive Device, our Ebola Tombola, or the Hand Grenade Lucky Dip if you fancy chancing your arm. And here's our fortune teller. He's really good. Although he just says we're all going to die for the cause. Are you saying you support their use of violence? Me? Well, not really. But the entertainment's so good. And there's a loyalty card. I'm looking forward to having a go at Beat the Goalie. They're using real lead pipes. And there's the Whack the Mole game with a real MI5 mole. And there's camouflage face painting for the little ones. Don't they look cute with their M16s and ammunition belts? Mike, I'm really uncomfortable with this organisation. Oh, come on, Anthea. It's not like it's something that wouldn't happen anyway. And it's mostly in India or somewhere. It says here that it's the UK government they're aiming to overthrow. Yes, but that's in London. We're out in the country here. Come on, Anthea. Well, there is a cake stand. I might just have a cake for the moment. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, we've, we've got a Sultan Battenberg, upside down and smashed to pieces cake, pain of chocolate and long drawn out death by chocolate. Oh, oh, I have to go. I'm supposed to be doing the balloon release. It's over there by the Wheel of Misfortune if you want to sponsor one. A balloon release? But that's outrageous. What's wrong with that? It's very bad for wildlife. Think of all the field mice that could get trapped. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Hi, Wickham, 2005. Hello. Hello. Can I help you? Ma'am, Tooth Fairy. I'm sorry? I'm your Tooth Fairy. Can I come in? Did you say Tooth Fairy? I did. Here's my card. If you prefer, I can get a court order. No, that won't be necessary. Come in. Who is it, dear? Tooth Fairy. Oh. Oh. You're not our usual Tooth Fairy. Here are my papers. I think you'll find that everything is in order. What's that smell? Sorry about that long day. Can I take your raincoat? I prefer to keep it on, if you don't mind. Now, I have reason to believe you are currently in possession of children's milk teeth. What happened to the previous Tooth Fairy, the nice little chap with the wings? Did his back in picking up a heavy molar. There will be an investigation, health and safety. The unions are up in arms. Cutbacks. Did you know there are three and a half million children in the UK between the ages of five and nine? No, I did not know that. Did you know that? No. No, we didn't know that. That's 240,000 pickups a night. Frankly, the hours we work are just ridiculous. Cutbacks. I'm having to take up the slack in addition to my normal duties. What are your normal duties? I'm the bogeyman. I see. It was me and the Easter Bunny filling in. Now it's just me. At least I don't have to explain the ears. What happened to the Easter Bunny? Didn't eat his greens. Oh, 
Would you like a cup of tea? I don't know what my predecessor got up to on the job, ma'am, but I can't be distracted. What kind of shape would I be in if I had 125,000 cups of tea every night? I have enough trouble sleeping as it is. Nightmares. I'll say. Have you ever tried drifting off underneath the bed of a young child, wondering whether this one is a bedwetter? I'll get my tools. Tools? Yes, I need them for the otherwise impenetrable force field created by the child pulling the blankets over his head. Oh, and you don't have feather pillows, do you? They bring me out in hives. No, little Jimmy is upstairs. Excellent. Would you like the invoice for retrieval, or shall I place it under the pillow? Invoice? I thought you just left a pound. Cutbacks, sir. Oh, that's my fairy ringtone. A text from Santa. Oh, would you believe it? He walked on the cracks in the pavement, and now the bears have got him. Sorry to leave you in the lurch like this, but I'm afraid I'll have to stand in. It's only me and the Sandman and his rubbish at gift wrapping. Some other time. Good night, then. Good night. A classified location, 1956. Come in, Colonel. This is the room where we're working on the Invisible Man project. There's no one in here. Exactly. He's invisible. That's amazing, Smith. Truly amazing. He'll be able to sneak into enemy facilities and report on what he sees. Ah, well, there is a problem there. Unfortunately, because his retinas don't absorb any light, he can't actually see anything at all. Ah, You'll be able to overhear everything that's said. Well, you'd think that. Unfortunately, his eardrums are so incredibly thin that he can't actually hear anything either. Oh, I see. Well, I should at least be able to shake him by the hand. Unfortunately not. The matter-phasing technique we use means you can't actually touch him at all. Oh. Well, can he speak? Uh, no. Smell? Actually, I've no idea. We could ask him. Yes? Only he won't be able to hear us. Ah. There's no one in here, is there? Of course there is, sir. There's a completely invisible, untouchable person in this room who is completely unable to interact with his environment or communicate with us in any way whatsoever. Oh, and he's no good for anything at all. On the contrary, sir. We're planning to start a new religion. Welcome all and thank you for coming to the 1950 Technology Strategic Planning Forum. To make it a bit easier to say, we've abbreviated the name of this forum to 1950 Techstrat Plan 4. Our objective is to define the strategic direction of the country in terms of scientific development for the next 50 years. So, we want you to all think really big. We want you to be bold. We want you to take us to new frontiers. So, anyone? Who wants to start? Anyone? Uh. Well, if I can contribute to the 1950 Strat Plan Tech... That's 1950 Tech Strat Plan 4. 1950 Tech Strat Plan 4. That. Uh, I'd quite like a better tin opener. A tin opener? Right. No, that's good. A really great start. But I think we can afford to really push the envelope here. Some kind of automatic post-sorting machine? I didn't mean actually literally. But excellent suggestion anyway. Who else? Anything at all here? Okay, so to summarise, we're going to spend all our money on a tin opener and an automatic machine for sorting envelopes. We have 50 years, millions of pounds at our disposal, and we're going to spend it all on something we've already got and an electric postman. Maybe if we had a few more years, we could make him whistle. How about something to allow you to see through walls? Oh, and a window! 
But would you like glass in it, or should we go back to the Bronze Age? If we could go back to the tin opener yes, a moment. Yes, let's. Let's go back to the tin opener. I don't feel we've wasted quite enough time on that least ambitious of our proposals yet. Let's listen to what you've got to say, and then maybe we should go round the table and see if we can think of any other further innovations for problems that we already have a perfectly good solution. Uh, a slightly more efficient petrol engine? Slightly more efficient? Are you sure? We've only got 50 years to make this. Perhaps we should all rein in our enthusiasm just a little bit. Uh, excuse me. I've just heard there's a war broken out in Eastern Europe. We're going to need bigger bombs. Longer range. Aircraft to carry them. Longer range aircraft. That can take off vertically. And helicopters. And battlefield medicine. Supergluing. In air refueling. Non-stick frying pans. Computers for cracking codes. So the next time your car won't start, the cooker blows up, or there's one sock missing from your load of washing when it comes out of the machine, remember that we are not alone. We Are Not Alone was written by John Thrower and Andrew Fletcher and performed by them with Matt Nation, Lisa Walsh, Lucy Brownhill, Tim Hounsom and Verity Neves. It was produced by John and Lisa Thrower and edited by Nathan Rowe. For a full list of credits and more information about the show, visit our website at www.wearenotalone.co.uk. 